freedom is dangerous. You know, at the end of the day, freedom is extremely dangerous. And like, what I mean by that is like an animal at the zoo is very safe, but like, like a deer, for example, out in the woods on, on average has like four to five minutes of stress its entire life. And it's like when it's being actively hunted by like a predator, when a predator is chasing it. And I was like, man, like I, you know, a lot of us human beings do, you know, I mean, we, we're lucky to have, you know, five, stress-free minutes in an hour, you know, never yeah. mind. <laughs> um, so I mean, that's a, that's a big thing. So I think with freedom, I mean, definitely comes more danger. Like people are like, Oh, well, cryptocurrency is dangerous. Someone can steal your wallet. I was like, man, someone can steal your identity. Like <laughs> at least it's not centralized in one location, you know, and you got a bunch of corrupt people that are, that are, you know, the ones taking care of it. Like uh, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm very much for that. You know, I would, I would rather have the, uh, the former rather than the latter. This week on Monero Talk is sponsored by Cake Wallet. Store, send, receive, and exchange your Monero and Bitcoin safely on iOS and Android too. Cake Wallet is open source and you always control your own keys. And by Stealth EX, an instant exchange where privacy is the top concern. Go to stealthex.io to instantly exchange between Monero and 450 plus assets without having to create an account or register and with no limits making Stealth EX a simple way to purchase Monero with crypto anonymously. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever. By typing in monerotalk.crypto in your monero.com or cake wallet, send address field to send us a tip. This week on Monero Talk. Douglas Tuman interviews Sam Bent, also known as Doing Fed Time, an ex-Darknet vendor and admin who now educates the public on operational security and privacy. The two discuss the initial challenges of becoming a public figure after years of working from behind the scenes, why freedom comes with inherent danger and responsibility, how Sam developed his philosophies of freedom at a young age, the problems with public education, dangerous ideas, salt pack, and the vulnerabilities in PGP, Sam's story of becoming a darknet vendor, his OPSEC recommendations, why vendors still accept BTC, and more. Narrow Talk starts now. Sam, what's going on, man? Thanks for coming on Monero Talk. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, you want to give a quick intro of yourself? I'm, I'm assuming a, a lot of people in the Monero community actually probably uh, haven't come across you yet um yeah so my name is sam bent i'm also known by uh doing fed time on uh youtube and i have a website with the same name um i was basically a darknet vendor and darknet market admin um till i got busted and ended up going to federal prison and i taught myself about the law there and got myself out and um now I just write, you know, blog posts that rant about the federal prison system and teach people uh, various aspects of OPSEC for educational purposes only. You're doing a great job, man. And you, you haven't been running the channel for too long, right? It's, it's pretty new. Right. Right. And it's uh, it's like everything is just me. It's not there's no crew behind me. You know, I, do, I do all the posts and, and all that stuff, which was a trip, you know, getting out of federal prison and, you know, readjusting and then having to learn about videography and ISO and aperture and everything else that goes into it. But it's it been a fun time, you know, good challenge. 
Well, you seem like the type of guy when you focus on something, no matter what it is, you figure it out, right? I mean, there's, there's obviously some good examples of that. You got you got yeah. yourself out of prison, right? Um, yeah. Basically, learn the law. Now you're learning how to podcast. Yeah, I'd say you're you're already doing a better job than we are in terms of our production production value. So kudos to you. Um, how how long have you been doing the podcast? Um, so the YouTube channel, I've had it probably for. A little bit after my DEFCON talk, so around April, you know, I was I planned on doing it for a long time before then, and like just getting on the camera, it really skeeved me out. Um, because you know my whole background was the guy in the shadows, you know, like I'm a dark net vendor. I'm quiet. Before that, I was in the hacking community, so I've very much been a lurker, kind of in the background. You know, definitely no no, social media ever. You know, um. If I did, they were just like, you know, bogus accounts for, you know, doing uh, open source intelligence gathering kind of stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, after so after my DEF CON talk, you know, talking in front of like, you know, 2,500 people or however many it was, it was just insane. Um, you really did an amazing, amazing job on, on that presentation. It was great. I, everyone tells me that, but I like, I feel, I feel so self, I think a lot of creators, like with, like when you hear your own voice, right. It sounds weird. Um, oh my God. I it's kind of the same that. thing. I watch it. I'm like, I said, I'm like 50 million times. <laughs> it's like, I get annoyed watching it. You know? <laughs> I can't, well, I can't listen to any of my interviews, which sucks. Like I want to hear the other person, but I like, I, I just cringe when I listen to myself. I'm like, Oh my God. Stop. Yep. <laughs> the exact same way. Yep. <laughs> Well, I think a lot of people, you know, that are in in these privacy communities, right, that are privacy oriented, that don't want people surveilling them, uh, have this personality type, like you're saying. I, I I had a similar thing, you know, when I went to do this, I was like, ah, what am I doing? I'm like, somebody needs to do this, but I'm like, you know, because you're kind of you're giving away a lot of value there, right? There's a lot of value in maintaining privacy right i mean you were already um you're already very much of an extrovert you know being like like running for office man i mean no i i started i started this before i ran for office so this was things that made me comfortable with like huh you know what i'm already out there what am i what am i gonna lose now i'm already out there as the as a monero guy um but yeah it was that initial getting getting into like doing podcasts and youtube shows yeah that happened before the the running um, but yeah, no, there's a lot that's lost, right? Like when you become a, a public person, you, you, sure. lose, there's a lot of value lost, right? It's well, it's, it's, you know, privacy is, is a sacred thing nowadays. And it's so hard to actually have, um, that it's, it's ridiculous in order to really have it. Um, the price that you, you either pay in, you know, money, um, or you pay in, research time and, and intellect, you know, intellect, um, where you need to study, you need to learn, you need to learn about encryption signal. You need to learn about all these different options that are at your disposal that you can use, um, that are somewhere in between that sliding scale of security, um, and privacy and, you know, convenience, because at the end of the day, like, you know, if you have to decrypt, you know, every message that comes to you is PGP encrypted and, you know, it takes, has to go through Tor and like no one, 
no one's going to want to, you know, no one's going to talk to you. No one's hopping on, you know, pigeon with off the record messaging and going through tour to, you know, be able to communicate with you unless they're a dark net vendor, you know, or, or a hug bunter, you know, <laughs> who I talk to like that. Like um, that's really at the end of the day, the, the only way that you're going to be able to, to really do that. Um, but there are definitely ways like signal um, and um, you know, there's a ton of messaging apps out there that, that kind of allow you to have that, that semblance of privacy. And I think uh, any app that you kind of see people get scared of kind of like when, when uh, you talked about, you tweeted about that, um, that I think it was a New York times article uh, oh, with a guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, you know, like he says, you know, Hey, like this is dangerous. Like, all right, awesome. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, freedom is dangerous. You know, at the end of the day, freedom is extremely dangerous. And like, what I mean by that is like an animal at the zoo is very safe, right? Like um, a giraffe isn't going to get eaten at the zoo. Um, but like, like a deer, for example, out in the woods is completely free um, and it's running around, but it's very dangerous for that deer because there are predators out there. Right. So, you know, the more freedom that you it's also living it's it's also living its best life, right? In the in that sure. moment, it's, it's it's worth the risk, right? Yeah, I think I think I saw uh, an estimate one time, and they were talking about how like a deer, on on average, has like four to five minutes of stress its entire life, and it's like when it's being actively hunted by like a predator, when a predator is chasing it. And I was like, man, like I you know a lot of us human beings, do, you know, I mean, we, we're lucky to have you know five stress-free minutes in an hour, you know, never right. mind. <laughs> um, so I mean, that's a, that's a big thing. So I think with freedom, I mean, definitely comes more danger. Like people are like, Oh, well, cryptocurrency is dangerous. Someone can steal your wallet. I was like, man, someone can steal your identity. Like <laughs> at least it's not centralized in one location, you know, and you got a bunch of corrupt people that are, that are, you know, the ones taking care of it. Like uh, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm very much for that, you know, I would, I would rather have the, uh, the former rather than the latter, you know, I can't stand credit card companies or, you know, and I, yeah, I'd much rather go or just, just crypto, you know, but that's such, that's such a dangerous thing, you know, cutting out that those, you know, the financial terrorists that, uh, that have owned, you know, that ecosystem for so long now that again, like I said, you know, with, with, the best way to rebel is to do it intellectually because, you know, if you try to rebel with guns or firearms um, at the end of the day, like you're going up against a military that has drones and autonomous drones. They've, you know, I mean, they, who even knows what the capabilities are because it's classified. <laughs> no one knows. Um, I think we got a small glimpse of it with Snowden, but um, they, you're going up against such a big enemy, you know? Um, and I think you're much more effective when you do it in an ethical like nonviolent um, way where you use your intellect um, and you maintain that high moral ground. And, you know, that high moral ground is just wanting to be free. It's an inherent human right for you to be able to be free, for your body to be free, for you to be able to make your own decisions. And um, you people out there who are definitely very well motivated uh, not to allow that to happen. I think throughout history, we've seen that, you know, whether it was like Lincoln saying, Hey, I'm going to create the greenback and he, you know, his brains get blown out. And, you know, Kennedy's like, Hey, I'm going to enact uh, executive order one, 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 and, you know, audit the federal reserve. And, you know, he dies the same way. Um, you know, you do, bankers are the wrong people to mess with, you know, they don't care about money. They care about power. And I think that's a, a big issue that exists. Um, and I think that's probably one of the biggest forces that, you know, um, freedom has to compete with is 
those that small group of people who always wants to control everything. But I think through intellect, you know, for example, the invention of cryptocurrency did, you know, amazing uh, feats in striving towards freedom when we're getting to a point where everything is locked down, you know, uh, everything is trapped, traced, categorized, you know, um, and it's, you know, you, with everything that happens like that, you have counters to it. Uh, I see it. It's kind of like watching the battle for the last 200 years between a, a master thief and a master locksmith, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> the, the lock, you know, the thief, he figures out a way to, to get past the lock. The locksmith improves it. You know, every year, Medico's like, the lock we're releasing this year is unpickable. And by the end of the year, some master locksmith picked it, got the $50,000 bonus, and now Medico has a better product, you know? So it's, um, you know, that's kind of the evolution uh, that I see you yeah. know, throughout history. And, but I see it happening with, with technology and access to information mm-hmm. more rapidly. And I feel like at the end of the day, you have this rapid evolution, um, but sometimes it's a rapid de-evolution when you're talking about things like, you know, people getting absorbed into things like social media and becoming obsessed about it and, you know, not learning about things that really matter, you know, like what's the difference between a right and a privilege, you know, um, if, you know, are you obligated to answer your door for the police? You know, at the end of the day, it's like, if I, if I came up to you and I was like, Hey, listen, um, Doug, it's great to meet you, man. Listen, anything you say to me, I'm going to hold against you. You want to have a conversation? Like, and, and that's how people should look at it. Law enforcement, you know, because that's, that's the motivation at the end of the day is to, that's what they're going to do. They're not your friend, you know? Um, and I think, I think that image is an image that's, you know, relatively new in our society. Um, I think if you look back at like Norman Roxwell, those paintings of like the policeman kneeling down, helping the lost child, helping that child, you know, find their parent, that that's a, that's, that's a uh, peace officer. You know, that's what I call a policeman as opposed to what we have nowadays, which is a police officer um, who's really just a, you know, a tax collection uh, agent, like, you know, your kid gets lost nowadays and he finds them, you know, he's going to stick them in a foster home or he's going to get molested and he's going to stick you in prison and they're going to hit you with restitution and seize your property <laughs> and give you a fine, you know, like, so that's, uh, that's, you know, that's what it is. And, and- I, I couldn't agree more with everything you're saying. Um, where, where do you get your kind of your philosophy from? Obviously it comes from you, but is it, was there like a, a, a some, something you've read growing up or is it, was it, was it always in your bones? I mean, I, I feel like me personally, right? Like I've, I've always had these, these thoughts of, of, of Liberty and, and, you know, feeling it when, when my Liberty was being taken away, whether it was, you know, whatever it was, but, you know, dealing with the government in some way and feeling like they were, you know, uh, have you always been like this or was there a kind of a transitional moment? But what, what was kind yeah, of, your, I mean, yeah, I mean, in school, um, like in school, they, they, uh, so I was, I was, a, I was a great student, um, uh, but they put me in like the special education class. Cause I asked, like, I would ask questions, you know, they'd be like, Oh, why do you, you know, why, why are we doing this? And they'd be like, Oh, it's just, that's the way things are. I'd be like some answer. You know, there's, there's a reason why, you know, um, and it's kind of like when they, you know, when they're telling you, uh, you know, the revolution was fought, you know, over religious freedom. And I'm like, well, what about this quote right here, you know, um, from Ben Franklin, where he says, like, the primary cause of the revolution was over the interest backed currency, you know, 
And like, oh, it was about freedom. Like, stop arguing. You're being argumentative. It's like at the end of the day, that kind of that kind of friction doesn't go well, especially like, you know, they, their job uh, in public schools anyways, you know, yeah. is to regurgitate whatever because they're government funded, whatever the government has told them to to say. I mean, you can Google any teacher who deviates from that curriculum is probably not going to be a teacher for too long. The propaganda um, in public schools is mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's absolutely, you know, I think it's horrible. Um, And that's why, but again, like, that's why you see, like, I remember looking up with my children, I looked up um, uh, homeschooling versus public school and private school. And um, like looking at those comparisons, like I remember the, one of the, I found an infographic one time. The first thing it said, so the top three professions of people who homeschool are doctors, lawyers, and small business owners. And I was like, oh, that right there, I mean, tells you so much, you know? Um, and then like, I'll talk to, I'll talk to your average person. I'll be like, Oh, what about socialization? And I'm like, listen, classical, like for the last 5,000 years, classical education was reading, writing and arithmetic. Right. Um, it wasn't sex ed, death ed, phys ed, like none of those, anything they tack on the word education to, is not education, you know, classical education is comprised of those three things, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And with those three things, there's nothing you can't learn, but Mm -hmm. you should have the freedom to do it. Um, So that was a big thing for me. Um, I think at the end of the day, if it had been structured, education had been structured in a completely different way, um, I would have excelled, but it's not meant to have people who question authority excel, right? right? It's meant to have that individual who shuts up, stands in line, you know, sits down when they're told to, they're a good citizen, they're quiet. Um, and at the end of the day, we tell you, you know, you know, one plus one equals five. And if you repeat back to us, as well as we repeated to you that, you know, one plus one equals five, then that means you're well-educated and you got a good curriculum. And, and, you know, people like Albert Einstein disagreed with that. You know, he said that uh, education isn't remembering and that's totally it's not verbatim at all. I totally, totally screwed up that quote. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud to say I had one of the worst attendance records in public, in public high school. And I, and I did well, you know, I'd sh- on the, t- on the things where you just show up and take like physics. I was very good at physics, but yep. you know, I like, I like learning it on my own, on my own. Why did I need to go, you know, hang out and be exposed to all the, you know, other bullshit. Um, yeah. But you see, you see, and you see the doctors, the lawyers, the, you know, the, uh, even the politicians, you know, those are the ones that, that were able to conform um, to that authoritative voice. And those, those ones that like they see as safe are typically the ones who excel, you know, especially in like institutionalized learning. Yeah. Um, and those are the ones that get the positions of power where they can make changes, affect changes. But I think that's one of the reasons why they never do, you know? It's exactly one of the reasons. That's why we yeah, are rich. Give us your kids uh, from five on up, and we'll own their brain. You know, we'll own them mentally for the rest of their lives. And I think we have the very much the same system uh, here, just with the federal government. And you know, with the more money we give the the school systems, the worse things get. Like it's not it's not an issue that money can solve. You know. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a very you know it's a basic issue, and that's why like for me it's it's like homeschooling is such a a big thing, you know, because at the end of the day, your average homeschooler is four grade levels above, you know, a kid in public school. And that's absolutely insane. You know, um, my, my, um, my oldest daughter, um, learned four languages, uh, by the time she was 12, you know, um, just going at it with Rosetta stone. Um, 
And like, that's, that should be how everyone is. Um, it just, I mean, that alone, how many career opportunities open up, how much money you get paid as, as you know, someone who can, who, who knows four languages, you know? Um, but again, like yeah. they don't, you know, they would much rather have you in their factory, you know, m- metaphorically or literally, um, whether it be the military industrial complex or prison industrial complex or any other, you know, established safe zone uh, you've been designated at. It's like going through high school. You have very clear classifications. And I don't mean by the students who kind of self-segregate with jocks and everything else. Right. But um, you also have the system segregation of like, OK, you know, you're kind of smart, but you're not quite smart enough. So you're going to go and, you know, do the vocational program where you learn about doing cars and metal shop and, you know, all this other stuff. And then you have the other class of students who are kind of just, you know, normal. Then you have the AP kids and like, that's your majority. Those AP kids, they're going to be the doctors and the lawyers because they're, they're going to go to the best universities, you know, and they're going to get the, the most opportunities that are available to them. And, a lot of that's based on behavior. They say some like 70% of your personality um, dictates your salary, you know, because if you don't have a personality, you're not going to have a salary. You know, <laughs> if you can, if you can't get along, I mean, even if you're, 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 you know, working in a cemetery, digging ditches, if someone comes by and, and you tell them off, you know, you're just not going to have a job for long. So, you know, it's like, <laughs> and the more you can deal with people, the more you're going to get paid. And that's why, you know, Rockefeller paid Carnegie like a million dollars a year um, in 1920 was to to deal with other men because he said that's the most valuable skill, you know, in, in the world. And at the end of the day, I think you have a whole bunch of, you know, social engineers who just micromanage good parts of the population and, um you know, have 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 them enshrouded to a point where now you see like the the internet for a long time now has been kind of waking people up out of those kind of induced trances um, and educating them in ways that they haven't been able to before. But again, at the same time, you know, the counter to that is people getting absorbed into those cogs. You know, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. on Facebook for ten hours a day. You know, <sighs> yeah, man. When I ran for Congress, and you know. I'm I'm an introverted heart so like it was it, like I I like the human race right I want liberty I want to create a better place but people on an individual basis constantly is so hard for me man it's yeah. really, it drain it drains me it yeah drains. it is like yeah. you said yeah. if you don't have these certain personality types it really mm-hmm. does kind of dictate where you end up and that's yeah, another thing yeah I think I think everyone that's something everyone should do like if you're listening to this show right now one of the things you should do go hop on sixteen personalities.com you don't have to pay for anything hop on it. Go and take that test real quick. You answer a couple of questions and then read it afterwards and watch how freaked out you get. You know, like <laughs> I'll end up telling you stuff about yourself. You're like, oh, I always knew like there was a reason why I thought this or why I did that. And it explains it perfectly. Um, and it kind of I think the the more you know yourself, the stronger you are, just like the more, you know, the more powerful and dangerous uh, right. you are. Focus which on is, things and you know what your weaknesses are. So what are you, what are your what was yours do you know if like uh like a summary what what did it say about you the personality um so I'm an INTPA so um I am like 98% uh introvertive um and my personality type is called the logician so that basically like trying to troll me is is very difficult you know cuz I don't I'm definitely a logician oh my god are you uh were you born in October yeah yeah me too man 
Okay. Yeah, sixteenth. Uh, yep. Oh, the fifteenth. Hey, <laughs> my son. Right. My, yeah, but uh, my son was born the nineteenth. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Nietzsche was born the fifteenth. That was one I, I looked up. No kidding. Yeah, man. We're 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 in good company. Yeah, Libra. yeah, a bunch of Libras, you know, <laughs> <laughs> master air signs. <laughs> we, we don't want to be all, but we're, we're all introverts, so we hate yeah. everyone kind of too. <laughs> we have our own minds. We don't want to be bothered. Leave us alone. We want to be left alone. So, yeah, yeah, but I mean, you can't, right? I mean, that's why we're me and you are both here right now. It's because yeah. at the end of the day, like we've learned something, or we, there's some you know spark in us that is like you know we definitely want to do that. Like, like um, you know, I would much rather be uh, you know studying right now. But at the end of the day, like talking about the stuff that we're talking about takes precedent, right? Like, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're reading a book and you see a kid drowning, like you got to put down the book, you know. Um, and I think like at the end of the day. Obviously, that's not the the literal comparison, but definitely, you know, it's it's a it's a kind of an equitable metaphor or simile. I don't know what it would be, um, but a comparison, um, nonetheless, that we can make is that at the end of the day, there's much bigger, more important things going on, and like there's stuff that we can point out that we can say, hey, this is wrong. Even though if we, you know, we don't have to know a solution to everything to say, hey, I disagree with this. Like someone's like, oh well, you know. Maybe XMR, you know, it's not the it's not the end all. And like, all right, yeah, it's not the end all, you know. I mean, in like 20 years, there'll probably be something, hopefully, that's that's even better. And hopefully it never stops evolving and becoming better. Because, you know, what we're talking about um, you know, is really a road to a you know, a type of freedom, a, a form of freedom. Um, and that's something that hopefully never stops, you know, evolving, but that's something that a lot of the people who control, you know, the financial institutions and things like that, they would love to see end, you know, that innovation and that human and like, you know, go read 1984. It's a great example of that, you know, um, you know, when he asked him, like, what do you envision for, for the rest of the world? He's like, you know, uh, boots stomping on the face of humanity, you know, and I think um, I think a lot of the people who control these systems, that's kind of their, you know, their 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 viewpoint of the world. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people like you, like me who encourage freedom, who try to empower people with knowledge, um, which is the, you know, is something that costs nothing to impart, but time. But at the end of the day, knowledge is, in my opinion, the most valuable thing, you know, in this world. And people be like, oh no, gold is or Bitcoin or whatever. And I'm like, dude, like with the right knowledge, man, you can make plenty of that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you don't, and you realize you don't need it when you have enough knowledge and wisdom, right? It's like, wait, right. what is yeah. life really all about? Right, and self sufficiency—it's a real thing. I mean, at the end of the day, man, you can really go buy an acre of land, buy a Pacific Dome, build an Earth ship, you know, whatever you want to do, um, and make it so that you're completely self sufficient and you you're, you have no overhead. And it's like at the end of the day, if you have, if you have no overhead, if you have no mortgage, no, no water bill, no electrical bill, if you have none of that, um, then you have no actual need to, you know, work a nine to five. So instead you can invent or you can build things or you can explore what it is you're actually interested and in turn have a chance to explore your humanity. You that's, know, that's why I, I love it. And uh, property. Yes. But that's it's becoming harder and harder to have that right in a real way where you, you know, you have it. It's yours. It's your land. Nobody can take mm -hmm. it away from you. Yeah. And that's what I love about Monero. It is it is it's obviously not, you know, property in that sense. But 
uh, it is something that can't be taken away from you. That's one of the things sure. I love. I mean, it could, but it's very difficult, right? It's very hard for somebody to confiscate it. That's one of the things I love about uh, Monero. Yeah, I mean, like at the end of the day, you know, you go and and you know get a cold wallet, put it in a in an SD card, you know, and then take a um, you know, take a knife or take a flathead screwdriver, unscrew a door hinge, you know, and take that screwdriver and hammer, boom, 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 boom. So you make a little slot in the wood and stick your SD card right <laughs> in that little slot, put the put the the hinge for the door back on, screw it in. That's it's a great safe, you know. No one's going to find that. No one breaks yeah. into your house and goes through your door hinges, you know? <laughs> 100%, man. So you got to keep it there than in a bank, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to be careful. Uh, we just saw, actually, I, don't, I've, I haven't been following it too closely, but yeah, there was that Bitcoin dev um, that, that lost his Bitcoin apparently, but I don't know if it ended up. Oh, the FTX it. thing? No, 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 not FTX. It was, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Um, he was one of the, one of the, one of the core devs in Bitcoin. That like, sucks. You know, like two days ago, he said that he lost his, his Bitcoin <laughs> or something. Like he like somebody hacked him. Or, I mean, it's not funny. You know, I feel bad, but like it, it just shows and you, you know, like really, so this guy the, fucking so it up. You know, that's the side issue. That's what we, you know. That's the deer, man. That's that freedom right there. You know, yeah, at the end of the yeah. day, you're yeah. free, but you better stay on top of that OPSEC. <laughs> this isn't PayPal. You know, this isn't a bank, which is FDIC insured. You know what I mean? Like, like this, it's on you to take care of yourself, right. not the government or some centralized right. corporation. You, you want to escape the matrix, you have to be your own man. You know, you have to take the sure. responsibility of, of the yep. that comes with uh, being free. And that's multifaceted. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the one of the points, you know, early points you're making just about like, you know, where we're headed and kind of these 1984 vibes. And, you know, it seems things seem pretty, pretty dismal. And then we had crypto. I mean, so what do, what do you think about that? What do you think about this this concept of encryption in general? Is that like is that the great savior? Is that uh, all? You know, do you think that's what will allow us to maintain our, our liberty in the digital age? You think? Ultimately, liberty wins because of encryption. Is that where we're at in time? Um, I think I think liberty ultimately wins because it's going to be the dominant force in the human spirit that drives. You know, um, I don't think encryption, you know, is going to is is it has no spirit, right? It's like it's a it's a, it's an it's an inanimate object. So um, it's a tool that we can use. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but um, I don't think it's going to be like the the flag that we plant on top of the mountain because um, you know, at the end of the day, for again, we look at the you know that comparison of the master thief and you know the locksmith. Um, you know, we'll get to a point where that encryption's broken. You know, um, and then you know what'll happen is we'll evolve and we'll switch it up and we'll do something else and we'll get better. Yeah, your your camera went out. Uh, I know it's gonna take a sec, but yes. Yeah, so, huh, yeah, I mean, because it, it feels like for the first time, we as individuals have the ability to compete against the system yeah. with a tool that gives yeah. us an, an unfair advantage against them, right? Because it's- Well, it gives us almost a level playing field, but not quite, right? So, I mean, at the end of the day, like you have something to say. Now, if you had something to say, you know, in 1980, 
Well, how would you do it? Well, you might start up a newspaper. How much money is that going to take? You know, nowadays you can hop on and, you know, make one TikTok or hop on Twitter or, you know, hop on YouTube and make one video and reach, you know, 200 million people in an hour. Um, And like, you know, I think if you went and you met a new person every two minutes your entire life, you know, it would be interesting to see if you would even meet that many people throughout your whole life, you know? Um, whereas nowadays, you, know, you could literally hop on a phone and, you know, do it in 10 minutes and have that effect. So I think, again, I think they're all useful tools. Um, and it's like any other tool, right? Whether it's a hammer or a gun, like anything, it's, it's all in how you use it. And if you know how to use it well, and the better you know how to use it, the more dangerous you are, or the more effective you are or efficient you are, you know, with that. And I think, you know, the amount of tools that exist for us is something is like almost incomprehensible, right? Like um, just looking at it from like an offensive standpoint, like if you download Kali Linux, right, which is a, a hacking distribution, if you do that and you just look at the tools that are in it, there's a mind blowing amount of tools. Um, and it's like, how many tools are on GitHub? You know, like it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's absolutely insane. If we have an unlimited amount of untapped power that exists. Um, so I don't think there's a specific end all because I think for any one thing, um, like that thing can be taken out, can be captured, can be corrupted. So, um, I would definitely, I definitely wouldn't say that. I don't think that there's a, a specific thing that's an end all. Um, and I would say that even when it looks hopeless, you're always going to have some kind of light at the end of the tunnel. And sometimes it's not even intentional. I mean, you know, the internet wasn't, was never actually designed for this, you know? Um, it's like, you know, um, there, but there's like even Tor, like Tor wasn't originally designed for <laughs> your drug trafficking, you know? It was, it was designed for spies to be able to talk, but they realized the secret network that only spies are on makes it pretty easy to track the spies. So they gave it to everyone, you know? <laughs> so, but in doing that, they gave us a very powerful tool um, and just people that use it and abuse it. And, but again, it's always going to be the same. There's always going to be people who do that, no matter what the tool is. You know, there's going to be a wacko who stabs people with a screwdriver. You, you can't ban the screwdrivers. You know what I mean? Um, it's just, it's not realistic. It's a dangerous world. You know, I don't have to stab you with a screwdriver. I can beat you in the head with a rock. You're going to ban those? I mean, it's just, we we don't live in, a, you know, a, a a world where adults are children. And I think at the end of the day, a lot of the times, that's kind of how we're treated. Um, in modern society by the government and the news media. And that's how people are kind of portrayed that they have to be protected. And at the end of the day, it's just, it's a really bad way to be, whether you're the guy who lost his BTC or you're the person who calls the police station uh, because someone's breaking into your house, but they're busy with some, you know, other big thing across town, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, much better off knowing how to defend yourself, whether that's, you know, physically or, you know, when it comes to cybersecurity. Again, it's your life to protect and you have an inherent right to life and freedom and privacy, but you have to exercise that right. Like no one, no one can take your rights because they're given to you by God. So if someone wants to take a God given right, they have to prove they're God. They have to prove God doesn't exist or they have to prove that they're an intermediary for God. Now, someone can intimidate you into not exercising your rights. So like if you're talking and I say, shut up and you stop talking, 
then you've chosen not to exercise your right because you've been intimidated by me. Now, we only have the rights that we're willing to fight and die for. I feel like that's extreme. It is extreme. So isn't what the founding fathers did. It's, it's, it's all. That's what it is. I mean, in order for it to to work, that's how it has to be. You you know, it's like when when, you know, I think it was Moxie Mullen Spike came out with you know, a signal, um, that's extreme, you know, um, encryption, you know, is extreme. Like the U S government in the nine, you know, the nineties saying, Hey, listen, encryption's illegal and hackers saying, okay, cool. And printing out books with the code. And then, you know, I send you the book, you type out the code on your computer and compile it. Now you have the encryption program and I didn't send it to you. So neither one of us broke the law, but we both legally have encryption. Um, the crypto wars between the hackers uh, back in the 90s is what I'm referencing. Uh, my point is that innovation, like trying, uh, you know, going kind of like to V for Vendetta, trying to stop an idea whose time has come is just it's impossible. And ideas are bulletproof. So at the end of the day, if you want to do damage, if you want to free people, put ideas out there because it's the most dangerous thing that you can do. Yeah, uh, we, we had Zimmerman at Monerotopia in Miami, the you know creator of PGP. That's awesome. You come, you should are you gonna come down to Monerotopia? What do you think? <laughs> I hate planes. Oh yeah. I went to I went to DEFCON, man. I was Mexico. Yeah, Mexico. I was white knuckled the whole time. Oh, so come on, you I hate going there. fast Mexico and I hate heights. <laughs> I have to be like on like a horse tranquilizer to get on the plane. And I hate drugs. How <laughs> ironic is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, for me it was just a tool, you know. <laughs> you are hilarious, man. But so as far as PGP goes, for any of those of you out there who are listening who are using PGP, um, I suggest you guys look up vulnerabilities with PGP because there's you know real life vulnerabilities and there's theoretical ones. And one thing that people should check out and it's free, um, is it's called Salt Pack. And Salt Pack helps alleviate some of the issues that exist inside PGP that can lead to a possible compromise. Hmm. So I don't know enough. I'm definitely not well-educated on this topic, but I have a friend of mine um, who his name's Seaway12C. Actually, he has a a YouTube channel too, but he's telling me a couple of days ago about how with PGP, um, I'm going to totally botch the explanation of this, but I'll try it. Um, like if I write a message that says, hi, Danny, how you doing today? Then I write another message that says, hi, Paul, how you doing today? And all these messages have kind of the same content, but little things are different. Sometimes the structure of the encrypted message will be kind of the same. And because of that, they can kind of be identifiable. And sure. when we start getting into like, you know, well, the government has these computers and they're classified because they're so powerful. That might be an actual issue. So there's a thing called Salt Pack, um, which is something to, that counters some of the, a lot of those vulnerabilities. Um, so, so how good do you think technology currently is from the from from our side? The you know the users, those seeking liberty that just want to transact peer to peer, that want to buy and sell things peer to peer, communicate peer to peer. Do you think it's good enough? Where I mean, obviously you were doing it, and you know you ended up in federal prison, but was it because of the tech, or I mean, what what do you think the tech is good enough for for people to kind of truly opt out at this point? Yeah, 
Um, I do. And, um, I think we have enough tools to be able to do that if you're inventive enough. Um, like I said, even, even just like, if we're talking about like home hacking where it's like, you know, at the end of the day, you just make it so you have no overhead, whether that's an acre of land and like a Pacific dome or a yurt or a, um, uh, earth ship, like you, so you have that ability to absolutely do that. People have done it, you know? Um, so it's, it's something that's been proven. But so with me, with my case, um, I got caught because I had specific policies and protocols that I implemented with my one employee, which is my cousin, um, and she didn't follow them. And because she didn't follow them, that's what led to our big issue of being raided. But when I had structured my business, I because I had been in cybersecurity uh, for so long, I had looked at it from that kind of standpoint. And when you work in cybersecurity or you work in IT, you work in like those kind of adversarial fields where you have like, they call it like red team and blue team. It's, it's kind of like us versus them, good guys versus bad guys. You learn to kind of do vulnerability assessments and those kind of things on the fly. So it's really a natural fit going into something where OPSEC is a real thing that matters um, because you automatically, you already know about encryption. You already know about security's best practices. Um, so it's just a matter of implementing them. So my OPSEC was great. Um, and at my, on my DEF CON talk, I'd actually showed a, um, uh, a shot of a document that I had where Department of Homeland Security was, was investigating because um, they knew my, who my cousin was. They had followed her back from the post office. And then they got, that's how they got the address. So they found out that I lived there. So when they were doing their investigation on me, they asked, you know, they were asking postal employees, who is this guy? Because they, you know, they see all your mail. They know who you are. Um, and they're like, oh, he's a, he owns a computer company. You know, <laughs> it's like at the end of the day, if your OPSEC's on point, if your cover's on point, that's what your adversaries can get on you. They get what you want them to have, you know? Um, so what they ended up having to do is the United States Postal Inspector cut open the box um, and opened it up. And USPS, when you ship through USPS, it's the federal government, so they require a warrant to open the package. Yeah. So because he did that, he opened it up illegally with no warrant. Um, but they used that to apply for a search warrant. So basically in doing that, it enabled me to apply for a Frank's hearing, which is when you can prove that law enforcement broke the law in order to catch you, which now I bring this back to my original point. When you structure your business properly and your aim is security, and that's your main goal is security. And you have a background in that for 15 years, you should be able to play that chess game to a point where you can put your opponent into a corner where, you know, they have to act a certain way in order to get out of it. And that's exactly what happened in my case. And they did exactly what I wanted them to do. The downfall was, was that the one person, my cousin, didn't. So she had already talked. And because she had already talked, I was guaranteed a conspiracy bid, which means, you know, I could have gotten a mandatory minimum of 10 years. And the prosecutor was like, listen, I'll give you a mandatory minimum of 10 years or I'll give you a maximum of nine years. I don't want to go to this Frank's hearing. And I'm like laughing. I'm like, yeah, I bet you don't. You know, like we could prove that you know, you guys broke the law and that's why it was granted. Like a Frank's hearing is extremely difficult to get. Um, and we got it. But um, again, like but the you, didn't feds go, have, you didn't go through on the hearing is what you're saying. Right. right the fed, well, the feds have a 99% conviction rate. So it's like, it's like me and you sit down to play chess and I'm like, Hey, listen, Doug, 
All my pawns are queens. I hope you're cool with that. Oh, by the way, if you still checkmate me, I get to reset twice. Like, it's just, it's even when they break the law, they can still get away with it because that's the structure of the system. Mm -hmm. That's how it's set up. Do you love coffee and Monero as much as we do? Consider making gratuitous.org your daily cup. Pay with Monero for premium fresh beans, and if you like what you taste, send a digital cash tip directly to the Guatemalan farmers that made it possible. Proceeds help us grow this channel, gratuitous, and Monero. What compelled you to get involved in this stuff in the first place? Obviously, you know, you're you're a big liberty guy, right? All these things we're talking about. Is that kind of what led you there? You're just like, well, whatever. I have the right to sell whatever the hell I want. So I'm just sure. doing it. Sure. There's, there's definitely something for someone like me. There's definitely something um, kind of satisfying about making the, the feds be your drug mule, you know, like unwillingly, like the federal government is you know, moving narcotics for you. Um, and it's way cheaper than you're going to end up paying uh, anyone else. And uh, they make it so your exposure rate is ridiculously low. Um, but it was just desperation. It was a, I was in a, a really bad situation um, with a, a woman that I was with. And I just wanted to get away from that. But I wanted to get into, like, I didn't want to just leave, you know, because I had, I had three children. So like, at the end of the day, I can't just leave them, you know, so I need to have a plan. So I was like, well, I need to make money. I need to make it quickly. And then going into that, I have my objective, right? And now that I have my objective, I have tunnel vision. So I'm going for that. It's like, what do I need to do this quick? But I know I can make money doing this. So what do I have to do? Well, um, I have to know about how to ship packages. I have to know, you know, all the logistics of it. I have to understand as much as I can about law enforcement investigations. I, you know, all these different things I've learned about permeation and, you know, drug shipping and, and what works and what doesn't work. Um, and that was such a big task that at the end of the day, when you get that tunnel vision, you're like, well, wait a minute. If, if I just make videos or if I, you know, get a regular nine to five, the same thing's possible. It'll just be slower. Um, now I lived in rural Vermont, so there really was no jobs to speak of around. Um, so that was one of the, the primary causes that I was like, you know, I, I'm going to do at the end of the day, if this is what I have to do to have a decent home for my family, for my kids, mm -hmm. then this is what I'm going to do, you know? Um, and if that means, and like I had looked up the laws, right? I had looked up other dark net vendors, seen what they were sentenced to. I was like, all right, so it's between, you know, five and 20 years, you know, so don't get caught. It's pretty good uh, motivation, you know? Um, and again, the numbers, all my OPSEC was on point. So it wasn't, it wasn't that it was the lack of supervision. And mm. that's the thing, you know, when you're playing a game where you can't make any mistakes, but your enemy can make a thousand, it's a very difficult thing to do. Um, it's possible, but it's difficult to do solo. And at the end of the day, if you have, you know, that one person is, it opens up a whole world of vulnerability because if they are not consistent, then that's all it takes. And and that was all it took, you know, in this case, it took that. And then it took, you know, her telling on me um, at the end of it. So, 
So ethically, how, how did you like kind of negotiate it in your own mind? I mean, so it's, like, yeah, it's, so it's a free market. I'm selling, you know, it's a victimless crime. I'm selling hallucinogenics and, you know, if people want to buy them. <laughs> yeah. So, so at the end of the day, um, we are we're free to do whatever we want. And prohibition does nothing. You know what prohibition does? It makes it makes it so that there's less people selling it, which makes it more valuable. You know, um, the best way to, you know, make a, a drug lord or a crime lord or an extremely powerful criminal is to make something illegal. And great example of that is Al Capone. You know, um, at the end of the day, he was only, you know, a multimillionaire because it had been made illegal. You know, had alcohol been legalized, it would have been much difficult, uh, much more difficult for him to get to those heights and make that, you know, that much money. Um, but that's something that the, you know, the government unwittingly does. And, you know, you have like Oregon, which legalized, you know, all drugs. You have, um, you know, in history, we've we've had all narcotics legal. Um, so there's actually no reason to not do it. We've already done it. Um, and if you look at other countries, you know, they have nowhere near the criminal justice statistics we have. And at the end of the day, you take a guy who gets popped for drugs, right? And what do you do? Well, you throw him in jail, you throw him in prison, right? Well, who's in jail and prison? Well, there's rapists, murderers, you know, serial offenders, violent criminals. Um, and now this guy who just wanted to smoke a little weed or, you know, talk to God through mushrooms. Um, now, you know, he's learning how to make knives, you know, and, uh, you know, put a lock in a sock and bash someone's brains open uh, because, you know, they're going to take his commissary. So, like, uh, this is what this is what we create. And, like, you know, at the end of the day, this is, you know, that proliferation of a prison culture is why, you know, we have we have five percent of the world's population, but twenty five percent, you know, of the world's prisoners. And that's we incarcerate more people than any totalitarian government ever has in history. And um, you know, I think that's just, I think it's asinine given the, the level of intelligence and capabilities uh, that we actually have in this country that we feel the need to do that. Um, you know, you look at something like 70 to, I think it's, I want to say it's like 60 to 80%. It varies. It goes up and down um, is the amount of people that are in federal prison for drugs. Um, so like what would happen if, if like we mandated those people, all right, listen, uh, instead of doing that, what has a horror, higher ROI? Because if you're about money and you're selling drugs, you're like, oh, I'm about making money. All right, cool. Check this out. A legit, legit business. You're never going to lose anything. You know, uh, well, you, you might, you know, you might lose the whole business if you do it wrong. But at the end of the day, if you can run a drug empire, you could probably run a reasonable business. You know, you have a little bit more paperwork, but no one's going to try to shoot you in the head. You know, no one's going to try to rob you. You know, you, you don't have to watch your back with the cops, with confidential informants. So my point is those people are capable, right? So what happens if we put them in business school or, you know, give them something productive or constructive to do that benefits society as well as the individual, you know? Um, and at the end of the day, those things exist. I mean, you have, you have countries that, you know, have 5% recidivism um, because, they give people educations and it's like, you know, at the end of the day, when they, they had the no frills for prisoner uh, bill that, that got passed, which killed Pell Grants, um, which Pell Grants basically were your ability to go to college in prison and have it paid for. 
And people are like, why should federal prisoners, you know, or state prisoners get to go to college for free? That's a great question. Um, and at the end of the day, my rationale would be because it's a hell of a lot cheaper than having them come back and stay in prison for another 30 years. Plus, at the end of the day, when they get out, they're going to be angry and they're coming to your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a guy that was stabbing people in the neck to survive. You want to walk past this guy, you know, like, like he's, you know. This is this is who you want. You can be. I would much rather have, you know, highly intelligent business entrepreneurs who want to invent, make things, and you know what I mean. And at the end of the day, you have sociopaths and psychopaths who are never gonna, you know, want to do that. You're you're gonna have people who they're gonna kill, they're gonna rape, they're gonna rob, they're gonna, you know, they're just gonna do that. Um, and you know that's unfortunate. But those are the people I feel that that you know prison is for. You know, the people who are actually dangerous to others, not the people who are, you know, smoking weed or or even just shooting heroin, man. Like, at the, I don't agree with any of it. I don't do any of that crap. But at the end of the day, I'm not against someone else who wants to because it's their decision what mm-hmm. they do with their body. Like, if I want to cut off my pinky right now, I can do it. You know, um, I shouldn't, you know, it'd be painful. Um, but I can if I want to, because I own my body. You don't own my body, so you can't dictate what I do with it. And I, I feel that that's a universal truth, no matter what it is. You know, whether it's, you know, you saying I want to do this drug or I want to drink or whatever. You know, at the end of the day, we don't have a right to dictate over someone unless it's a minor, obviously. But like, you know, we have no right to mandate what someone else can do with their own with their own body. And like for those people that would argue, well, you know, if you let people get high and stuff, then they'll wreck and they'll kill people and cars and all right, that, well, that's what the police are for. The police are meant to be reactionary, not proactive, you know? And if I arrest you because you might do something, it's pre-crime. You haven't committed a crime yet. It's like, if I give you a, if I give you a speeding ticket, but you've went from A to A to B and you haven't affected anyone's life, liberty or property, which, you know, those are the things that are crimes. Right. And the Constitution is when you affect those three things. If you haven't affected those three things, you really haven't committed a crime. And it's like at the end of the day, who do the police, you know, who do the police take an oath to? It's not like the state laws. It's the Constitution. Right. So like, why are you extorting citizens at gunpoint on the side of the road? You know, because they went five miles over an arbitrary speed limit and did no damage to anyone. Then you're going to put on emergency lights to stop them. Is it an emergency? Like, how how does this qualify? And, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's, it's about revenue. And that's why it exists. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's about. And it's about social cohesion and control. It's like, you know, why do we go to war every 10 years? You know, that's beneficial for social cohesion. You know, anytime you have a united enemy, it's much easier to bring society back together. You know, if me and you were like, hey, listen, man, uh, you know, the feds are going to come kill us. We got to tell everyone, you know, we're going to get along a lot better. And because we're in a bad situation, honestly, we're probably going to bond a lot better. And that's why you see like guys in the army, guys, some guys in prison, when they get out of those bad situations, they're friends for life. The guy you met at the club last week, you don't even know his name. You know? <laughs> those, those, are the, those are the things that matter, though. Those bonds, those, you know, those ideas, fighting back and fighting for what you believe in um, is to me, that's what's important, you know. Life's life's too short not to do it, right? So, so you think like dark markets and you know things like Monero, tools like Monero, um, you know, are because are, are, I kind of hear you. 
you your show, right? You talk about how people can use dark markets, right? Like basically. Well, I talk about, yeah, I talk about OPSEC. And in that OPSEC, um, one of the use cases that I cite is definitely dark markets. But um, at the end of the day, anyone can listen to that and adopt those same principles um, because we're talking about um, surviving in extremely hostile environments where your adversary is billions of dollars dedicated to hunting you down. Um, in the real world, you're, you're not going to have an adversary like that. So it's kind of the, the most drastic use case scenario um, that you could pick for, you know, operational security or cybersecurity. Do you, I guess, do, do you promote dark, right? Like, do you think people should start using them more, right? I'm not even saying to buy like, like whatever, right? Like just so people can start kind of opting out and, you know, we, we talk about this, this system, right. That exists, that's able to prey on people because they have this advantage, mm -hmm. right. Uh, if, if people started moving over to these alternative systems, whether it's to buy, you know, magic mushrooms or it's to buy grass fed beef directly mm -hmm. from the farmer, is that going to, you know, help propel society towards a more liberated, uh, you know, way so i can answer that with uh with with a statement so when i went into federal prison um i went in there and you know i went in i was like i was, I was telling you know like, go in there you show your paperwork who you are you know they read through it make sure that like you, you don't tell on anyone stuff like that you're not you know a child molester so they they go through your paperwork so they so they go like you know I was like, oh, I'm a darknet vendor. And like, you know, some of those guys have been in there 30 years. Like, what the hell is a darknet vendor? <laughs> um, but like the interesting thing was, again, the majority in the in just in that entire system are there for drugs, right? Uh, and a lot of the guys in feds are there for drug trafficking. Um, so like call them get money guys. You know, there's only like 150,000 federal prisoners. There's 2.2 million prisoners on average. So the federal guys, the guys who cross state lines, do like big international stuff. They're like the movers and shakers. Um, I'm not saying like they're, they're the best. I'm saying that they're the most dangerous because they're the most intelligent and organized. Um, um, so with that being in there, you know, I met like, you know, those Italian guys from New York who <laughs> totally are not connected. Um, and, you know, I met, you know, a bunch of white guys from you know boston um who don't know anything about the irish mob yeah. you know um and you meet all these unique you know really different individuals um and i would ask them i'd be like you know do you do you do you know of anyone else who's here for drugs in the dark net you know mm -hmm. um and out of all the people that were on that that prison compound I was the only one who was there who was there for being a darknet dealer. So statistically, you know, um, it's extremely difficult to get caught for it. And that's like, if anyone who wants to get it, it's public information. Um, you get my transcripts, my sentencing transcripts, and you'll see right in it, like the United States attorney um, says, like the people who use, you know, darknets are a lot less likely to get caught. Um and that's why you see like every time there's a dark net bus, United States attorney is like these criminals can't hide behind, you know, the dark net. And it's like, it's just a warning for all the other sheep, you know, uh, to scare them out and scare right. them into, you know, um, and at the end of the day, it's not true. And even according to his own words, it's not true. But to answer your question, does that give them liberty? Well, it means a lot less people are doing, you know, there's, 
there's tens of thousands of people who are get away, getting away with doing it. Um, and each one of those people could be getting anywhere from, you know, 10 to 30 years. So literally we're talking about thousands of years of incarceration that mm -hmm. are being prevented by people electing to go online as opposed to meet some shady weirdo um, in an alley, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and there's a benefit to that too. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, tour to door in three days. Um, and, you know, like you can see your, you know, all these drugs were EC lab results, you know, like, um, or you have a community with um, the ability to um, help you with harm reduction. You know, so like maybe if like you're going to do heroin, like why not have lab results from it where you know how strong it is so you don't die? You know, um, if you're going to do it, I'm an advocate of you doing it safely. Um, now, I don't mean just, you know, avoiding incarceration, but I mean not killing yourself. You know, um, at the end of the day, if you're getting something from a street dealer, you don't know who he is. That guy could have put fentanyl in it. For all you know, that guy hates you uh, because you beat him up. 10 years ago and you just don't remember it. You know what I mean? My, my point is you might just stab you and take your money, you know, like you don't know and you can get ripped off on the dark net, but at the end of the day, at least there, you have a crowdsourced reputation system. It's not your buddy, Tom saying, yeah, this guy, Mike's cool, you know, get stuff from him. And Mike's really a fed. It's your buddy, Tom's a moron. He doesn't know it, you know? Um, so it's a lot more safer without a doubt. It's more safer. And that's something that's, you know, admitted to, by the system, um, even though they'll say the opposite in a press conference. Um, but also statistically, it's true. Um, that little bit of encryption, that little bit of, you know, preventative measures puts you on the top of the apple tree as opposed to being on the bottom when law enforcement's standing there trying to get apples because they're hungry. So do you see dark markets growing in usage? So like yeah. even more mainstream as the technology. Sure. There's, well, there's a demand for it. I mean, if you went tomorrow and you legalized every drug, um, it, it would probably die out significantly. Now, even then it would still exist. Now, why would it exist though? If everything's legal, why would it exist? Well, for the same reason that I could sell alcohol on the dark net and it's legal um, right. because at the end of the day, the government's so greedy that they'll tax the crap out of it. Oh, we lost the camera again. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and obviously the trend is things are becoming, you know, more blacklisted, not less, right? So we're we're seeing more regulations around things, not less, right? So to the yeah, point. and like like if you go like uh, when they were talking about giving um, uh, heroin dealers and fentanyl dealers life sentences, what's going to happen is there'll be less people selling it, but the people that are selling it are going to make a lot more money, and they're going to become a lot more resourceful, and it's just going to make it a better paying job. So you're incentivizing it. And it's like, at the end of the day, the best really way to explain it is like, you know, people talk about the war on drugs and whatnot. And it's like, at the end of the day, you have federal prisons, right? And you have all these different security levels. At the highest security level, um, you know, you have United States penitentiaries. Um, and in those penitentiaries, no matter which one you go to, there's drugs, there's cell phones like these are places that the government completely controls with 30 to 40 foot concrete fences, razor wire, gun posts, and there's still drugs. It's that, you know, you're never it's not something that you're going to stop. And it's like it's like, you know, scooping water against the tide 
and being like, look, I moved 10 gallons. We're, we're putting a dent in it. And it's just, it's asinine, you know? I mean, at the same time, you're empowering violent cartels. Um, and, you know, it, it's just, uh, it's, a, it's a bad move, in my opinion, all around. And, um, you know, unless you're a criminal, in that case, it's awesome. You know, keep it up, you know, make, uh, make more things illegal. You know, it's just <laughs> um, people, people that are listening in the room, if you go ahead and share this, tweet it out. Let's get more people in the room. We'll be doing the Q&A soon. Um, but I, I want to get into some of the the technicals, right? So I um, like, what would you recommend? What are some some things that you recommend people would use if they wanted to start, you know, using the dark market, whether it be a vendor or a buyer? What are some like yep. basic, basic tools and know-how? So the first tool I would recommend going out and learning um, is how to use a Google dork. Um, that sounds really weird. It's like, well, why the hell would you recommend that? Um, well, it's like in order to read, you have to be able to sound out a letter, right? Um, you know, so at the end of the day, going out and learning how to research properly online is key. Um, and, you know, Google dorks, that's one of the things that you can go out there and learn that for free and um, have the ability to look information up at a rapid pace um, and cut through all the nonsense and get to the meat of an issue much quicker. So that's where I'd say to start. And then from there, because now you know how to research in an efficient manner, you can spider out and start looking at alternative things that you can do to learn more. I mean, the thing is, is if you are not getting better, you're getting worse. You know, you're either growing um or you're rotting you know it's like it's like fruit you know um when the fruit's on its vine it's it's getting ripe and if you let it go past ripe it gets worse if you take it off and you leave it there it, it rots it's like comparison of you know vinegar and wine you know where one gets better with time one gets you know progressively worse if the caps left off um i think people are a lot like that and um i think the best thing you can do for yourself is to get better and i think you know, if, um, you know, at the end of the day, if you're going to do, a you know, illegal substances, I think um, you should get it from a source that's halfway verified, you know, by a community. I mean, if there's a there's a guy that's selling a drug and then he has 100,000 sales on four different markets, like I'm I'm going to trust that guy more than some random schmo I meet on the street who doesn't know me for anything. And if he kills me tomorrow, it affects nothing, you know, with him. I guess you could argue the same thing with the dark net, but it doesn't affect him. But um, at the end of the day, I just, I think, um, I think that crowdsourced, you know, kind of options a lot better. So um, with people, I would say, you know, at the end of the day, it's not illegal to get on tour. Um, there's nothing illegal about it. Um, and even if you're not like, you don't have to hop on the dark net or do any of this illegal crap. Um, it's just hop on it and try it out. Get some exposure, play around with it. Like go to IP chicken, on your regular web browser, then go to ipchicken.com on your tour browser and just see the difference between the two. The fact that you can be anonymous and you don't have to pay some, you know, vulture VPN um, to do it, you know? Um, and at the end of the day, like, that's like the, uh, you know, and if you do use tour and you do illegal things, you know, my suggestion and people, you know, flip out about this is that you don't use a VPN. Um, and like people like, you know, a lot of people disagree with that. Um, I happen to agree with the tour developers uh, and i say don't use it and the reason i say don't use it is because it adds another link in the chain that you can't verify you don't know you're not in the server room um where this vpn is located um and like for the people like oh my my vpn's uh 
no logs VPN. I'm like, okay, how do they track membership? How do they know if you paid this month? Yeah, <laughs> they keep logs, you know, uh, that's that's what they do. Like they all do. Um, so it's nonsense. Um, and, you know, learning how to research is a big thing. Um, I think that's the biggest thing, because then you independently can answer your own questions. You yourself can be your own fact checker. You don't have to rely on a given person to do that. You know, like anything I say here, I hope no one here believes me. Honestly, I hope every single person who's listening to this is like, no way. Everything he says is BS. And I hope you all, you know, you go and you, you fact check the crap out of it and uh, look into it, you know, because by doing that, that's how you verify something, you know, for yourself. And I think if we all did a little bit more of that and a little bit less trusting, of those official sources, you know, like a lot of stuff we're, we're told on mainstream media, I think um, would have a lot more critically thinking people in this country. We probably wouldn't, probably wouldn't be getting taxed as much. <laughs> we might be a little bit freer. <laughs> so like, so you basic first steps though, like, like, like mm-hmm. use or, and go to like, dread, right. Isn't dread like a good spot to, yeah. to start where you um, can. Yeah. So dread, so dread is, is one of the Darknet's biggest, most famous, um forums right now dread has been down and uh hug bunter who's the guy who uh runs and owns dread um has been like he's been migrating everything um to a new infrastructure he actually just put up a uh, status message today or yesterday on the uh dread alert reddit page um which was a pgp side message so you can validate it um saying that, you know, they're moving it over to the, to a different infrastructure and uh, stuff like that. But um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, like Tor right now is, is basically getting hammered by DDoS attacks, which is distributed denial of service attacks. Um, And it's basically like, it's like 5,000 people going into a bus station at once and everyone's trying to get in and it makes it so no one can get in. Um, And you kind of see that with a lot of extortionists out there where they, hit these websites and, you know, extort them into paying them, uh, dark night market specifically. Um, but you know, Tor is one dark net market. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that at the end of the day, people evolve and they adapt. And that's the key to survival is adaptability. Um, so like those people who want to continually survive and have freedom, even if, you know, somehow magically, Every Tor node died tomorrow. <clears throat> Excuse me. A bunch of people would end up just adapting and probably going over to I2P or another dark net. You know, there are multiple dark nets. Tor is just one of them. So a good start would be to, you know, hop on Wikipedia and read about what a dark net is. Like, look up these terms, you know, don't take anyone else's interpretation of any given thing. Look it up for yourself and verify it because, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, there, that, that form of evolution um, is a natural thing. And like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, maybe like, you know, XMR 3.0, there's a guy out there right now who hates cryptocurrency because he doesn't know anything about it. And this guy just, you know, happens to be like a full stack dev or whatever. And like, he's going to go and end up learning about it and loving it a year from now. And then coming up with this whole new, you know, crypto that's, you know, years away. But, um, you know, if you, if you said to people 40 years ago that you you could, you could, I could talk to you, 
you know, like this, um, you know, with a phone or anything, and people think you're insane, you know? Um, and I think that's what any kind of technology looks like when you're, when you're far out, you know? Um, so like what's to come, I don't know, but one thing I do have confidence in is that no matter what happens, we as human beings will constantly evolve and strive for freedom. Um, and again, like in the, you know, in the revolution, it was only something like 2% of the population who actually fought, you know? Um, so it doesn't take many people for everyone to be free. You know, it just, it takes some people, you know, you, you, you can't do it on your knees. You have to be standing up. So that's what it is. And at the end of the day, you have people that stand up, you know, um, whether that's like me talking about operational security um, or like you talking about, you know, currencies, like, I, I didn't even know, like, I, I don't really know much about currencies, man. Like I remember I watched uh, one of your shows with the uh, agorist uh, guy. Like I watched that show and I was like, Oh my God, I'm an agorist. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even know what the term was. And then like, I watched that. And he's, like, he's like, Oh, BTC maxis. And I'm like, what the hell is that? So I'm Googling it. And I'm like, Oh man, this is crazy. It's all, but it's, it's beautiful that in and of itself, you know, you have a whole subculture and, and these, all these little subcultures that are breeding. And even if they're wrong, you know, like at the end of the day, like they're like, Oh, you're an idiot. Cause you're a BTC maxi. Well, at the end of the day, the great thing about them existing is that, you know, it can be proven wrong. Like being proven wrong isn't a bad thing. It should be a good thing because now you're learning, you know, mm -hmm. um, if you've been proven wrong and you still, you're like, no, no, I'm still right. Then, I mean, you just, you're ignorant. You're never going to be able to grow. Um, like I like to call ignorance, willful stupidity. Um, cause it's conscious, but, um, you, you are definitely an agorist, man. You are definitely an agorist. <laughs> um, what, what's the deal with people still using Bitcoin, uh, like for dark markets? Like why, why would a vendor take the risk of accepting anything other than Monero? Why would somebody that's going to purchase something opt not to use Monero? It seems like yep. at this point, there'd be enough knowledge out there for people to realize like, cause it's, it's like such a simple, you know, right thing to do where like, if you're going to go through this process of using something, you know, that, 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 that's illegal, right? Like, or, or taking some illegal action, why wouldn't you just, you know, be secure and, try to protect yourself by using something yeah. like well, any any thoughts there why it hasn't like i my my and, and can you give us insight into like how big has monero become on dark markets um so i remember when monero was 15 dollars, you know and mm -hmm. um it was like a joke you know it was like a running joke like who's gonna use this useless currency <laughs> you know um and uh but that's just kind of what it was but so for me personally um I really like as a darknet vendor, I don't care. I'll take any kind of currency. Um, and so why would I like, that's a great question. Um, like, you know, every transaction is recorded with Bitcoin. Like, why the hell would you do that? Um, it's because I can switch out of it fluidly. I can switch into Monroe and like, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to go, you know, from Bitcoin to Monroe and then, you know, back to Bitcoin or vice versa, um, depending on how I want to cash out. Um, so it's really, it's irrelevant to me as a, as a dark net vendor, um, because I'm going to switch out anyways. I'm going to like, I have to, if I, if I get XMR, I have to switch it into Bitcoin and switch it back just to break it up a little bit. So it's not, 
Oh, you switch your XMR back into Bitcoin? Wow. Yeah, I would. Yeah, because I'm paranoid. <laughs> so. yeah, no, I, would, I mean, for, for purposes of shielding yourself, that wouldn't make sense. If, if, or, if, or, if, yeah, if, so, if, so I, I've, I've always had this pattern where I put it into a different crypto and then I pull it back. Yep. Okay. Yep. Wait, hold on one second. Yeah. Sorry, my computer's about to go dead over here. No, you're good. But yeah, um, definitely overkill, you know. Yeah, we'll, we'll uh, but talk about that in the, in the Q&A because, yeah, that, that, that part doesn't make sense. Like, uh, <laughs> I can see why, where if you needed to go into Bitcoin because you were for liquidity reasons or something. And then, like, but if it's for purposes of hiding your, hiding your tracks, the, the process of going back into Bitcoin won't really help if you're already in Monero. Right. So is that is you yeah. think that's maybe some of the mentality of of vendors in general? Then you think that's why uh, people might like uh, what is I'm trying to get into the head of a like the you know a vendor like why wouldn't they just accept Monero only? Is it because they're I guess they're like they just they want to sell right? So if somebody's got Bitcoin, it's like I'm taking Bitcoin. If you got Dogecoin, I'm taking. Yeah. But I'm, I'm right. Just, yeah. So so at the end of the day, if it's like. Um, it's not even a really a good comparison, but it's like if you live on the Canadian border, right? And mm -hmm. someone comes, you know, someone comes into your store and they have like, you know, a thousand Canadian dollars or whatever. Um, you know, are you going to tell them, are you going to deny them because they have that, even though you know the currency is good, you know, the conversion rate? Um, like, are you going to turn away business um, when every day that you're doing business is a risk? Because you're being hunted you know um like the name of the game is to make a profit that's the point of it so like inherently like like what you're asking like oh like why you know why would they take the risk mm -hmm. um it's a great question and it's like why you know th the business they're in in and of itself is risky <laughs> is risky so like at the end of the day if you want something safe go work at walmart you know um because that's not you know, it's not a, it's not a profession for someone like if you have anxiety, don't, don't ever do it. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not going to well, be good. You this way. If somebody were to go become a vendor or let's say a buyer, would you recommend that they use Monero to make their purchase? Yeah. Yeah. I would recommend that everyone use Monero for every purchase, just because at the end of the day, you know, that's, that's what it is. I mean, freedom and privacy is a great thing. And, um, what was that? What was that thing you plugged? It was like um, Monero cake or cake or so. What was it? Cake something? Cake pay. Cake pay. Yeah. 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 The one with the it creates a it creates an instant gift card for yeah. anywhere you're trying to right. Yes, Vic. Vic is gonna love that we're having this conversation right now. Good. Good job. Good job. But that's sick. You know. Yeah. Sick. You know that that is that right there. You have no reason. To not, you know, I mean, unless it's like, well, I'm trying to, you know, buy a house. So I'm going to, I'm going to get a couple credit cards. I'm going to put some, you know, keep them with 20% on them to build credit. Like, okay. Yeah. I understand that. But if it's like you're established, like with why, you know what I mean? Why would you, why would you not, you right. know, like um, transaction? Yeah. I mean, you have a right to privacy. And again, like, but we don't, you know, that's the thing with privacy is, you can either pay for it, which is kind of difficult to do because like, you know, 
privacy consultants? I mean, would you look up, you know what I mean? Like, like off the grid specialists, like, you know, um, it's, it's not really a, a thing that I know of probably is probably some niche market. I just haven't heard of. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, to, to evolve and to have that knowledge of how to be, you know, ha- how to engineer your own privacy is awesome. Um, and that's why, like, when I was listening to that, like, when I listened to that, I was steady Googling, you know, like, throughout the whole thing, a bunch of different terms. I learned a ton of stuff. Um, and then, like, you know, the next day I got up and I had work and I had, like, all these tabs open. I just closed them out before I had my coffee. And I was like, oh, like, you realize later on in horror, <laughs> you just lost all the stuff you were researching. Um, so I went back and I ended up finding them, resurrecting them, bookmarked them for later. But um, I definitely, I want to set that up too. I want to get running with that because that's 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 hugely powerful. It's hugely empowering. Um, and like, again, like, no, I don't want companies to know what I'm buying and then sell my data to someone. Like the only person that benefits is them, you know, um, mm-hmm. and it helps them sell me crap. Like I want my ads, you know, to be like, I don't know, for like a lightsaber or like, you know, a kid's bug. I don't know, some you know, curtains, some useless crap I'm never going to buy because they have no idea who I am. You know, that is ideal to me. You know, I don't want it super personalized, you know, like. Do you, uh, do you, do you think, uh, you know, dark markets are going to become like more Monero only? Is it is like is Bitcoin going to die out on the dark markets? Um, I don't think like, uh, uh, there was Operation Dark Gold. I heard, heard you talking about it on one of your shows, right? Where mm-hmm. they were basically tracking down vendors by way of their Bitcoin transactions. I mean, yep. yeah. yeah, oh, that was that was great. Yeah, that was great. So, uh, so basically, busted a guy named Gold in New York. Uh, and this guy worked for them as a rat, uh, setting up different deals, um, having people cash out. So, like one of the things that they said in my indictment, I had three counts of money laundering. Um, cause of the, with Bitcoin, um, exchanging it for cash and they were like, well, you paid 10% to cash out your Bitcoin and no one pays 10% to sell their cryptocurrency. I was like, have you idiots ever been to a Bitcoin ATM? Like do you, <laughs> how much research have you done? You know what I mean? Are you kidding me? Let me, let me know where you're selling your Bitcoin. Yeah. Dude, it was so asinine. Like I couldn't even believe it. But like when my case had started, my lawyer was like, Oh, like the United States attorney, like she was like, there's never been another dark net vendor arrested in this state. You're the first one. And I was like, oh, that's an honor. You know, like, what else? What do you say to that? You know, <laughs> so, so, um, you know, she's like, well, you know, like the United States attorney doesn't know much about crypto. I was like, that's awesome. You know, <laughs> like our enemy doesn't know. So, like, that's beautiful. From like, from like a tactician or like a Sun Tzu point of view, your enemy not knowing about something is something you can capitalize on because that's what it is. He's trying to put you in prison for decades. You know, he's the dude, your enemy, you know what I mean? So your friend. Um, so like that was, that was pretty great, but um, it was just such an asinine argument. It was ridiculous. And then like, like he had said in one of his motions, he's like, Oh, well you didn't follow, uh, you know, KYC, know your customer policy. I was like, I'm not an, I'm not a banking institution. You idiot. I don't have to. I, you know, personal sales are legal. 
dumbass you know what i mean like who what planet are you from dude like you you know what i mean like you're gonna like it's like they were you saying know, well, that you should have been KYCing your your customers when you were a vendor. No, no, he was saying that because I sold Bitcoin, um, that I wasn't following KYC. Oh, okay. But that makes no sense because I was uh, I was a private entity, you know, um, yeah. and it's perfectly legal. And I think the the thing that really pissed them off is like when I had my Bitcoin, I would use Changely and I would exchange it into you know XMR, and then I would switch it back and like good luck trying to you know find anything and like i would do that because the acceptance of bitcoin you know we're talking you know 2016 2017 time um like xmr like i said is is very cheap you know it's not had no there's not as as much wide acceptance of it at all you know um so it's it's just like the availability of btc is it's a lot more ready and there's it's a lot easier to cash out with it um and like you know at the end of the day like like honestly like my favorite way of cashing out crypto is like like instead of you know going and and trying to exchange it for cash um just buy drugs you know like buy 10 pounds of weed and sell that i can double my money or triple my money you know locally with that and triple my money um and you know like not have to worry about anything um and like that's it's just it's just it's just absolutely crazy um some of the the things that that you can do when you know how to do them and none of this stuff is you know rocket science you know it's just it's just a matter of perseverance and studying you know awesome man what do you think of uh people that say like you know some of these things are honeypots like I think, uh, what was the big one? Alpha Bay, right? That went down. Which yeah, so down? I, thought, I thought no, I, I thought the exact same thing, man. Like when I when I first saw Silk Road, right? Um, I saw it. I was like, oh man, this is a massive sting. These idiots, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, but you know what was funny is is uh, Silk Road wasn't actually the first darknet market, you know. Hmm. Um, first darknet market was uh, it was like farmers market. Or some shit, you know? But like everyone thinks it was Silk Road. You know, it's like well what? Ross made, I guess, the most popular one, right? He was he was Bitcoin's right. entrepreneur. What do you For think sure. of Ross? Huh? What do you think of Ross Albrecht and the you know the way he's been? Um I think I think he was ashamed that they gave him a life sentence. I think at the end of the day that um like he wasn't actually charged with any murders, but they mentioned him trying to get people murdered at his sentencing. And like at the end of the day, I just don't think something should be held against you at a sentencing if it wasn't a charge because it hasn't been proven. Right. I mean, they, like, it was, they, they definitely stated it. He definitely did. I'm not arguing that, but I'm saying from a legal standpoint, if you're not found guilty of it, why are you being sentenced? Like you have been, you know? Um, so at the end of the day, like, I think, I think, you know, what he did, I mean, what he did was obviously illegal, you know? Um, and at the end of the day, that's just kind of the law, you know, it's a, whether it's right or wrong. Um, I would, I would argue that an unjust law is no law at all. Um, but again, you only have the, you know, that like the, you see like the, like the yellow, you know, ribbon bumper stickers and be like, Oh, waving, you know, the, the like American flags and like, Oh, you know, freedom isn't free. I'm like, dude, like freedom isn't the cost of a yellow bumper sticker, you know, cost of freedom is like being that deer, you know, um and risking something or standing up for your rights um 
when people are telling you to shut up, like in our example before, you know, and just not backing down um, and being willing to fight and die for your rights. Maybe not, you know, you don't even have to go to that extreme of die for, just stand up for them, you know? Just, just that alone is is can be a revolutionary act, you know, in a time of oppression, as I think Ornwell said, you know, um, just that alone, you know, if we had, if we had, you know, a bunch of people doing that, I think, I think it would change a big dynamic in, in society. So I think um, like anyone who advocates for, you know, a better world in terms of one that's, you know, it promotes freedom at the end of the day is a great person and is kind of a, a revolutionary, you know, yeah, um, because I'll that's what they're talking about. Right. Just a peaceful yeah. way to do it. One that can allow you to keep that moral high ground. Mm-hmm. Sam, this, I, I have more questions, but we're already like an hour and 25 minutes in. Are you, are you down to jump into the Q and a with the chat? Cause I, I know there's some people that yeah. are waiting and they want to, they want to throw Sounds it. Sounds great. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's do that. Do you, is there any links you want to mention before we officially end the interview? Like, places for resources, places for people to find you, things you want to promote? Yeah, I mean, um, on Twitter, I'm at Doing Fed Time. Um, and I got a uh, you know YouTube channel, uh, Doing Fed Time. And I have another YouTube channel, which I kind of just started and it's fairly new, but it's more specific, which is uh, Two Happy Times 2, which was my uh, Darknet vendor handle. Um, so it's a big, you know, middle finger to the feds. And then, um, I got, uh, uh, I published my first book on Amazon, which basically tells it's like five to 700 pages, depending on which version you get. But like, um, it helps federal prisoners write their own compassionate release motion. And the success rate's about 25% for federal prisoners. So if nothing else, for me, it's a great way to encourage the you know people who are in federal prison to stand up and fight for their freedom because they have a book that details exactly how to do that through every step of the way and gives them every resource so when the federal prison system denies them access to the law library they can just use this one tool to do that and worst case scenario is they write this motion they send it in and um, the united states attorney has to work uh so it's a great way to dos or DDoS, <laughs> the court systems, <laughs> which is kind of like, uh, you know, my little middle finger to them too. Awesome, man. Let's uh, let's jump into the chat. I'm going to invite you to co-host and okay. we'll, we'll jump over there. Awesome. Anybody, anybody got a question? I have a question. Thank you for taking it. Yep. Go for it. Okay, um, this is CUH12C. I appreciate you coming on this talk and for hosting this, Doug. Um, Sam, I wanted to ask, when it comes to operational security, when you go to identify sensitive information that you wish to protect and identify or potential threats that could compromise or expose the sensitive data that you wish to protect, where do you begin, especially if you're not familiar with operational security? So, for example, like in software development, before I became like a senior level engineer, I had the luxury of working on projects and, you know, making some mistakes along the way. And then now uh, that I've had that experience, 
when I work on larger projects, I know what to plan for. When it comes to identifying sensitive information you wish to protect and not compromising it, it seems like you don't have such a luxury to learn by experience. So where would you recommend somebody begin? Good question, good question. Doing Fed time, um, we gotta make you a speaker here. Um, that is a good question. So you're basically saying, how do you get started when there's really no room for mistakes? Um, anybody else wanna jump up in the meantime? Or Siwad, you want to uh, just make some more comments while we fill some time? Hopefully, he'll jump on. Yeah, um, the whole talk has been really interesting. And I'm wondering, <clears throat> I often think about how darknet markets can expand their utility to offer services that don't just cover the black market. Because when people think darknet market, they initially, most people think of illicit activities, but I do think that with decentralized protocols, there's a lot of room to fulfill services that and perform them better that in industries that are highly regulated and that aren't necessarily illicit or illegal by the law. So I, I always think about like, what are some of the utilities uh, that darknet markets do and fulfill. And if anyone has any thoughts about that, that'd be cool to hear about. Yeah, I, t I was trying to kind of take doing Fed time in that direction. I, to I totally agree. I mean, uh, you know, this, this whole agorism movement, this idea of opting out, um, creating a parallel economy, uh, it doesn't just have to be things that are you know, uh, quote unquote illegal. Uh, it, there could, it, there could just be more efficient reasons as to why we want to transact freely on an open market. Um, yeah. So couldn't agree with you more. I mean, what do you see as being some of the early adopted things? Uh, lower transaction costs, uh, like transferring value. I know that sounds very vague and like, of course, but I know, for example, there have been people in other countries who I've been able to instantly send money to uh, cryptocurrency and help them with things. Whereas the alternative to that would be going through central banks or going through what I refer to as like legacy banking systems, where it would cost so many fees and time to transfer that value to them that it almost renders the transaction pointless. And alternatively, you can use these payment networks to just instantly transfer value to someone anywhere in the world, across borders, no matter what the laws are. And essentially keep government out of, out of that transaction, uh, like a separation of economy and state. And I, so I, I see like, transferring value instantly uh, to still be something that should be talked about more. Because when people think of cryptocurrencies nowadays in the mainstream, they're like, oh, an NFT. Like, you can, you can get an image. And it's like, no, that's not really... You can take a screenshot of it. It's not really non-fungible. But 
Uh, so I think that's one aspect. And then other aspects, I think we can continue to like decentralize traditional services more like you have the Ubers and Airbnbs, but once we improve identity systems and authentication systems in these decentralized networks, I think those will be the next services that could legitimately be more decentralized. And I, I just think that any industry or market can be decentralized and there's a use there, there are many use cases there. Good stuff. Doing doing Fed time. Can you can you hear us? Got you just got to unmute, and we'll be able to hear you. Oh no! I thought he was good to go. Yeah, you just gotta hit the unmute button. Oh, there he is. All yeah. right. It took forever. I had to restart the app a bunch of times and log out, log back in. No worries. No worries, Matt. Thanks for sticking with us. Yeah, so Siwa yeah, uh, jumped up. He had a couple of comments. I think his first question was basically, you know, with regards to OPSEC, like how does somebody even really dip, dip their toes into it if there's really no room to make mistakes? Um, so over time, um, you know, for me, learning about uh, cybersecurity was a, you know, 10 to 15 year journey, um, which is interesting because um, C. Wade was actually the one who started me on that journey. <laughs> um, he uh, he's uh, I ended up contacting him when he, had, he had, on his YouTube channel back in the day when you could PM um, on there and. Uh, asked him a few questions and ended up, you know, hopping on his website and, you know, becoming an admin on it eventually. Um, but just time, you know, um, and it's like, how many, it's like, you know, how many ways can someone break into your house? And like, you really don't, you know, you don't analyze that until the day you lock your keys inside the house. And then, you know, you find a million different ways to get into it. So like, that's, you know, at the end of the day, looking at, a situation like you locked yourself out um, is a skill that is something that you end up learning um, over time and you end up honing and perfecting uh, after, you know, so much time. Makes sense. Makes sense. See, Wade, you you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. You go ahead and uh, chime in. Well, that, uh, that makes sense. Uh, everything's a learning process and you can't always get it get it all perfect and correct the first time it it's very iterative um so then sam would you recommend like if you were looking to safeguard your information in a hostile environment that you take your step back that you take a step back before entering that environment until you're confident that you've covered all your bases because at times in the past like when i worked on a project not relating to opsec but just in general uh, I, when I didn't cover all my bases, I had the opportunity to go back and correct that issue. But if I'm entering a hostile environment and I wish to protect my sensitive information, do you think, like, it's a learning process, obviously. So do you just recommend, like, if I'm not ready, don't enter that environment? Or should I, do you have any resources that you'd recommend people go read or watch? Yeah, so I would, I would ask yourself um, at the end of the day, like, um, 
have you thought of any and every way that they could come at you? So like, if I was looking at it from like a dark net vendor standpoint, I would look at, you know, cases that were, you know, public like on Pacer and I would see how the feds ended up attacking, whether it was a direct or a collateral attack um, to that, that, that individual. And I would say, you know, do I have the ability to withstand that attack? And then I would also, you know, play devil's advocate and, think about every single possibility that could possibly happen. It's kind of like when you play chess and you're about to make a move before you make that move, you're looking at that board and you're thinking, if I make this move, what are the possible ramifications? Where, where is my opponent going to move? And you have to think, you know, five, 10 moves ahead if possible um, when doing that. And it's the exact same thing when it comes to, you know, OPSEC or cybersecurity that you have, you know, that proper preparation prevents poor performance is absolutely true um, when it comes to that. And, you know, the downfall with doing something like being a darknet vendor is that at the end of the day, the stakes that you have are so much higher, right? Like, um, you know, if you, if you work for a company um, and, you know, say you have a data breach, like at the end of the day, it's a big thing, but like, you're not going to go to prison for 20 years, you know? So you have a, you, you have a, a relatively, you know, less responsibility. Um, Cause you know, like, you know, with the worst case scenario is you might get, you know, make it sued or fired. Um, but like, you know, you're not going to be incarcerated. It's like at the end of the day, if you're looking at a high stress job like that, those are things that you have to be, you have to be okay with because aside from looking at like the cybersecurity point of view and, you know, all the operational security stuff, you also have to remember at the end of the day that you have to be mentally fit to be able to do this consistently because, you know, at the end of the day, the enemy of security is, is, is complacency. So, you know, at the end of the day, if you can't do that and you, you're not sure of it, then it's definitely not even something that you, know, you should get into or attempt. Awesome. Thank you for answering my question and thank you for letting me ask it, Doug. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, of course, man. Anybody else want to uh, jump up, ask a question, just request to speak? Go for it. It's these, these privacy people, man. Nobody knows. <laughs> there's <laughs> my people it's all good man it's all good so at the end of the day like if any of you guys have a question you know feel free to drop it on twitter or anything like that after the fact is is cool too but if you guys want to you know go back and forth and have a dialogue absolutely feel free to you know open up and ask that you'll, you'll ask the question then i'll ramble on for 20 minutes so you're good <laughs> I'll give uh, <laughs> give you guys like uh, another thirty seconds. Just request to speak if you want to ask a question. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think we wore them out, man. Um, thank you so <laughs> much. Okay. Time. Oh wait, I got another. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. See, Wade. Go ahead. Um, uh, Sam, are there any other cool uh, projects that you're on the lookout for? Uh, I know, like the inter like IPFS. Or an open bazaar looked pretty cool. Are there any competing projects to tour or any darknet markets that look interesting or that you'd like to recommend? 
Yeah, um, there's actually there's one that I've already I've already done a video on, but I haven't released it. Um, and it's something that me and Hugbunter, who's the creator of Dread, um, he basically has engineered this whole new extension of Dread, um, where Dread like goes from just being a darknet site to kind of infrastructure and. Like that's something I'm really looking forward to. I'm really looking forward to dropping that video, but um, I have to like the content. I want him to check out before he does because the content is a site that he hasn't released yet, and it's a uh, it's something that's not just going to be available on the darknet, but it's also going to be available on I2P as well as the clearnet. So it's it's a pretty crazy and radical step um for the darknet in in whole because it's going to it's going to really empower a lot of people and it's going to do it in a hyper secure way and it's going to have a lot of reach and i'm I'm really amped about it but um like i haven't released a video yet because hug bunter uh like I, again i want him to be able to review it before i do because there's content in there there's stuff in there that um that i don't know if he wants out there um so i'm waiting for that uh he's been you know crazy busy migrating uh all of dread over to a different platform he's gone for like a whole month and finally popped up yesterday with a signed message on reddit so um yeah i think i think that's gonna be that's gonna be a big thing and i think um I think we're starting to see. I know D Snake from Alpha Bay had put out that people should be switching up and, or at least, starting to investigate I2P um, as kind of an alternative. Um, I think that's a really good thing to do. Um, I also think that people should look at Freenode and you know a bunch of all the all the darknet markets that exist and educate themselves about what they are, the possibilities of them, um, what they can, you know, what they can do with them because they're all great tools to have. Awesome. Thank you. That video will be coming out on your YouTube channel doing fed time. Yeah. All right. I'll subscribe. Thanks guys. Yeah, man, for sure. And doing, uh, D snake was the, was the guy who, who kind of retired and came back, right? Yeah. From alphabet. Yep. And then uh, he started this Alpha Bay 2.0, from my understanding. Now, if it's if it's really him, that's that whole situation I don't know much about, but I do know uh, that little bit about what he did say about I2P. Writing. People are concerned it might not be him. Uh, anybody else that's yeah yeah, which is which, which is a totally legitimate concern at the end of the day because you know you can I mean you can you know the whole saying on the on the dark net is um, you know don't trust verify because you absolutely can with PGP signatures but again at the end of the day just because someone can verify with a PGP signature doesn't mean that it's not a Fed you know and that's something that is definitely a concern and you know. It's just, yeah, it's, it's worrisome, but it's like, that's where that hyper kind of that hyper paranoia um, comes in. Like, I'm surprised anyone does a 2.0 on anything. I mean, we've had Silk Road 2.0 and Alpha Bay 2.0. There's been a bunch of reboots, right, uh, of Darknet markets, and it never really goes well. <laughs> um, so I don't really understand the obsession with it. Uh, I think. You know, if someone's going to do that, they're probably better off just starting from scratch, you know, with a fresh, it's like rebranding, you know? Right. In that, in that world, do you think that 
makes sense to do. Especially when it costs nothing. At the end of the day, it's like, you know, the last market that had that name, you're going to take it down by the feds. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I personally, so when Alpha Bay was up, it was Alpha Bay and Hansa uh, that were up. And, you know, Hansa was substantially smaller than uh, Alpha Bay. And uh, so from like a vendor point of view, I would have been smarter to be on Alpha Bay, but I don't know if it was the UI or whatever. I just, I couldn't stand Alpha Bay. I just didn't like it. Um, and I had an account on there, but I just never did anything with it because I just, I just didn't, I don't know if it was the vibe. Like, I, just, I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't, I, didn't, I never really got into it much. Um, I really did like hands I really got into. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guess who's back? What's going on, man? I think you, you have some uh, knowledge about a decentralized market that's being worked on, correct? Oh, yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Uh, the last person mentioned uh, Open Bazaar, which I think is pretty much a, totally abandoned. I could be wrong on that, but um, there's a project called Narrow Shop that's pretty early on um, in C++. It's being developed. It's going to be a decentralized, um, basically Open Bazaar for Monero. <clears throat> but, that's um, awesome. Yeah, kind of reduce all the exit scams and uh, honeypots. It's <laughs> just the... Uh, decentralized marketplace so i wonder i wonder if like so i know i i loved open bazaar man i thought that concept was so awesome like decentralization like no exit scams like you had the uh like the freelance dispute resolution freelance um arbitration for you know vendor disputes uh i thought that was the the freelance escrow that they had said i thought all of that was absolutely phenomenal you know because like in kind of like you know the capitalistic environment the the people who do the best at any given service are the ones who are you know they end up rising to the top and being the most you know dominant or the most successful uh in that particular field so really encouraged kind of that cream of the crop to come out um you know it's going to be anything like that there or how's that work yeah, yeah. Basically, um, if anyone knows anyone who might be able to lend a hand on development, just check out the uh, Narrow Shop Matrix. Um, they're uh, they're always looking for people to help, um, and they they're going to have a similar arbitration and uh, dispute resolution and bonding and uh, escrow system that as what you're describing. I don't know how similar to um, Open Bazaar it'll be, but um, that's. I'm not a programmer. I'm, I'm kind of helping on the, I'm offering my input where anyone is interested on, on the arbitration and uh, kind of creating a marketplace there. And it's called Narrow Shop, right? Yeah, like Monero, N-E-R-O Shop. So is this the, uh, this is the one that's also um, located Narrow Shop on GitHub, right? Yeah, yep. Yep, okay, yep. Yeah, I'm reading it right now. Distributed peer-to-peer -peer marketplace uh, from Monero users. This is awesome, man. Yeah, if you know anyone can help out, send them that way. Uh, I definitely can. I suck at coding. I hate it. Like I'm, I always, I always leave out like a comma or you know, it's always some little syntax that, and, and I spend four hours trying to figure it out until you know, I just want to slam my head into a wall. So, you know, health-wise, it's horrible for me to to code. <laughs> so I stay away. Leo, what's going on, man? Hey, hello, guys. Uh, I have a, a 
Thank you, Sam, for coming on the show. I just have uh, one question for you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I've uh, read a little bit about you, like uh, before you onboard on this journey as a darknet uh, vendor. Mm-hmm. You had a pretty good uh, background and in IT, and your offset was good. You had uh, routines check up on your offset, let's say monthly and weekly. Yes, you also yes. studied on other people screw up, so how you could improve your security. And uh, I, and from your mistake and also with hiring someone, uh, how would you have done it different, differently if you would have to do it again? Good question. Um, so if I had to do it all over again, um, I I wouldn't have done it because, uh, you know, it ended up separating me from uh, my family and causing a, a ton of unnecessary heartache. But if I had to be a darknet vendor again, as like a like a force thing, um, then at the end of the day, um, I think I would have implemented better uh, supervision over my cousin. Um, and because that at the end of the day was the was the screw up. Uh, that's what led to, you know, her being caught and, um, you know, ended up giving information on me. Um, now, obviously the, probably the best, bet, you know, obvious thing would be like, Oh, well, you know, don't hire your cousin. But at the end of the day, um, when you're, you know, if you're, you're, you know, you're, you're distilling moonshine, you're growing cannabis, you're answering customers' questions, you're sanitizing your clean room for packaging every day, you are making sure that, you know, you're constantly stocked, you're making sure that you're active on the forums, um, and, you know, you're making three meals a day for your kids um, and making sure they do their homeschooling. Um, <laughs> it's like, you're at some point, you're going to need to outsource something. Um so you you can't do it all, you know, by yourself unless you you're not going to sleep. Um, so it probably would have been, you know, just making sure that um, I conducted maybe more thorough supervision um, of her. Yeah, that that makes sense. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Anybody else? I think I'm good, man. I, I've been talking my talking your ear off for the last two hours now. <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. It's a pleasure to be on. Anybody else, guys? We'll, uh... One last question. Um, kind of going off the um, what was his name? Leo's uh, comments. Um, is there like a a place of lessons learned and what screw ups have happened for, like throughout? all the different, different dark net markets that, uh, a resource. Um, not that, like, not that, not that I know of. I mean, it's definitely, so the info, you have a ton of information that's out there, um, in regards to stuff like that. It's kind of like, you know, honestly, one of the best places I found to like research VPNs, for example, is like Google scholar looking up, uh, cases and, um, uh, pacer you know, looking up keywords and, you know, from there you can see like which one of these VPNs has actually answered those subpoenas, you know, um, which ones have had serious litigation issues, which ones haven't. Um, you find a lot of information that way, but, um, it's by and large, a lot of it is spread out through 
thousands of different sources. Um, and I've actually, like, I had so many projects going, it's insane. I got a master class right now that I'm putting together for the Darknet. But then I also have a documentary that I'm trying to do on the history of all these, like, Darknet markets and, um, you know, just trying to source pictures of them, like what they look like, when they were around, how they left, did they exit scam, did they, and I'm trying to put all that together um, in a documentary while I teach myself After Effects. <laughs> so it doesn't, it's not like super boring. <laughs> um, Those are big projects, man. But yeah, they really are, they really are. But like, I get, you know, you gotta, I don't know, you gotta stay busy, man. So like, that's uh, that's my thing. It's definitely, a, it's a passion. I think it's a shame that like, there is no kind of official record, like he said. Um, and that's one thing that I would, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of, of, of creating with the documentary, um, but that's taken a back door to my, like my course and, like I'm writing another book. So it's like, and then I work 60 hours a week. So like trying to manage all that stuff um, is pretty insane, uh, especially when having a family. Well, if you have a dark net course, uh, you might want to drop it in that um, matrix for the narrow shop. I, I think that group would lo love a resource that kind of, it's a totally different model that they're building, but the threat model is the same in a yeah. lot of ways. So. Yep. So I'll have, I'll have a, um, so the first thing I'll have will be a primer course, um, which will be, that one will be like completely free. And then the masterclass won't be, but that's because the masterclass is going to be like probably 30 hours or 40 hours, some craziness like that of, of video and breakdown and quizzes and all that kind of stuff. Probably put it on uh, Udemy and Skillshare. Cool. Thank you. Can we can we pay Monero to take this class? Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's be, you know, I mean, you start that off, man. You start off with an A plus. You know, it's extra credit. <laughs> Maybe put that up on narrow. <laughs> yeah, valedictorian right there already. <laughs> Oh man! All right, man. Well, I'm ready to wrap it up. I greatly appreciate you taking taking the time, man, doing the interview and then jumping on here. Um, sure. Highly recommend you know anybody that's just discovering you now to go check you out. You're kind of new to Twitter, but you have a, a, a YouTube channel where you've put out a ton of content already. Really good stuff. Uh, recommend you guys go check them out, follow them. Uh, thank you so much, man. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, like like I said earlier, I'd love to have you down at Monerotopia. Maybe I'll keep bothering you. Maybe we could uh, get you to, uh, I don't know, pop, pop some pills and jump on a plane and come come down to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Good night. Thanks, everybody. Greatly appreciate it. Thanks for those that jumped up and asked questions. Right. Have a good night, everyone. Hi, Monero Land. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube, Odyssey, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Go to MoneroTalk.live for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. MoneroTalk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever by typing in MoneroTalk.crypto in your Monero.com or Cake Wallet send address field to send us a tip. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to being back next week.